Welcome to the Celebration Community Church Podcast, where we exist to meet God, grow in Him, and serve through Him. Well, welcome back to the Celebration Community Church Podcast. I have occasionally been called Nathan. And I'm usually called Derek, among any other names. Those are typically the preferred names that right. we have. Um, sitting across the table from us is Matt Dryling. Matt is a uh, leader in the men's ministry. He is a wonderful guest preacher a bunch of times. And something that I never knew about Matt is Trekkie. How long have you liked Star Trek? <laughs> That's one of my, you know, my closet things mm-hmm. that I don't tell people about. So you, you can't tell the wrong people yeah. because I am a Star yeah. Wars guy mm-hmm. through and through. And, you know, some people will say, like, I'm a fan of something, but they don't really know. I know Star Wars. I'm a fan. And I have to ask you, why, why Star Trek over Star Wars? Sure. Well, I... As a young man growing up, my kids don't believe this about me, but we literally growing up, I mean, I didn't grow up in town here. So I grew up and until I was, I don't know, maybe 15 or 16, we didn't have cable TV. We literally had three channels, right? And you had the thing, you had to turn the knob mm-hmm. and you know, adjust the, the ears and everything on it. And so that just happened to be one of the shows that was possible to watch. So it wasn't due to an unlimited amount of options. It was actually due to limitation. <laughs> so, you know, when you're limited on options and it's that and a few other things, you're like, well, I guess I'll become a fan of stuff. You know, you watch it long enough, you become a fan. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are you a Captain Kirk or a Captain Picard kind of guy? You know, I just kind of like the next generation was my time frame. And, and, you know, I just, I think Picard's pretty cool. So I would go with Picard. The only, there are two things about Star Trek that I definitively know. The one is Kirk and Picard because my chemistry teacher for my junior and senior year in high school had a life-size cutout of Captain Picard doing (laughs) something in, in chemistry. And the other thing that I've seen is I've seen the Tribble episode. And the Tribble episode is the worst idea uh, that anyone has ever had. They're looking for just something to fill time with. Oh, let's make this like ultra-replicating fuzzball to take over the USS Enterprise. Okay, great. That sounds like a great idea. <laughs> Derek, you just have like a blank glazed over. I, is this too nerdy I'm like for you? I'm aware of Spock and like the, is it beam me up, Scotty, or something <laughs> like that. Like that's about as far as my Star Trek knowledge goes. I think that's probably true of the rest of the people okay. listening. Sorry, sorry Mom. <laughs> I know you don't like Star Trek that much. But. Yeah, either there were not a lot of honest Christians in the uh, in the assembly when I asked mm-hmm. people who watched Star Trek, or there just weren't a lot of fans. <laughs> <on the other side. laughs> I'm guessing it's the latter rather than the former. And there's there's no danger in being a Star Trek fan at Celebration Community Church. There's just not a lot of good company. Maybe Star Wars, you might get a little bit better, especially with the new generation like the Mandalorian, Kenobi, all, all of those things. I think those are good things to like get into it. But here's my like case for Star Wars. Pe- people who defend Star Wars about them being good movies are wrong. They're not good movies. It's the whole idea of, I want to live in a universe where this is possible, where it's possible sure. to be a space wizard and travel at the speed of light and, or faster than the speed of light and all these sorts of things. It's not because they're well-done movies. I mean, 
It's now, not the, because Jar, Jar Jar is such an interesting character. There, are, <laughs> I, good, I have very little comment line. on it. It's, yeah, it's I mean, the story that sells. Yeah, it, you're not going to ever see it up there with like the best movies right. of all time or anything like that. But but it's it's fun enough to imagine a world and and the diversity of life in that universe is pretty interesting. I think it's equally interesting to look at some of the strange bits of life on Earth, but, you know, that's my nerd showing. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) I don't think there's anything wrong with being a nerd. Um, That was just something I did not expect. And when I heard it at the 5 p.m. service, I was like, no way. Matt likes Star Trek? Okay. (laughs) That was really going back into the weeds to try to get something. I think that's the first joke you've ever told from stage as well. (laughs) Well... That could be. <laughs> one of the one of the big criticisms that anyone on staff has for Derek and I is that we have no fun. Mm-hmm. So I can count on the my, like my one hand the number of successful jokes that I've told in service. One of them being the Chick Fil A joke, and I think that's the only ones. Most most of the time, people think I'm just that mean, mm-hmm. but I'm like my sarcasm is is the thing that carries me across people talk about their five love languages or what their love language is sarcasm is mine so there's a there's a lot of times in staff meeting where nathan or i say a joke that we think is funny and everybody just looks at us like okay stop yeah (laughs) and we don't thanks for derailing this entire meeting (laughs) for you to think something is funny yep yeah my dad powers are coming in strong it must be a a dad like something that comes adjacent to being a dad is just coming up with jokes that are so esoteric only you enjoy them and people hate them and you are like yes and that's i've arrived that's part (laughs) of the fun yeah absolutely that that is commonplace in my house so we're uh, we're going along with sticks and stones and our second week of sticks and stones was christians believe a fairy tale and matt you you preached on that so if you could give me like the the 30 second to a minute synopsis on all of the work that you did throughout the week leading to that what what would be like the main points that you would want someone to ascertain from that message yeah, I think that probably the, the main thing I'd want people to take from that message is that the person who comes and tells you you believe in a fairy tale also has a worldview. And often what happens in conversations like that with Christians is they, they shut down when someone comes and approaches them with a question like that because they get embarrassed their faith, or, or that is the, uh, the objective, is to embarrass a Christian to shut down conversation. And so the objective really is, is to get people to not only... Uh, have have trust and um, you know just faith in your worldview of what God's done, but also to be willing to go on offense and actually examine the worldview of the people who come and talk to you. And I just think so often those people they've never been challenged in that way. They you know they grow up or they they go to school and they say Christianity is you know a fairy tale and they've never challenged those ideas. And, uh, you know, so that, that was really the gist of what I was hoping to get people to do. Yeah, I think that's a good place to enter into this conversation, um, what a worldview is. Now, that, that seems to be a fairly self-explanatory term, right, a view of the world. But what are some of the things that comprise a worldview? How do we go about obtaining a worldview? Because like it or not, we have one, and there are either consciousness, there's either a conscious understanding of how we look at the world, or there are subconscious things that we just assume to be correct. So how do, how do we go about like 
finding out what our worldview is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for when you start evaluating your worldview, I think what you need to do is you need to really see, um, you know, I think there's a lot of Christians out there that think they actually believe they have a Christian worldview, when in reality, they don't. I mean, they have a veneer of Christianity on the outside of a inner set of beliefs that their Christianity is actually filtered through. And so I like to compare a worldview to a set of glasses you put on, that everything you view your life through, every decision you make, every um, everything you evaluate of, of science or anything, you are value, you're evaluating through those glasses. And so one of the ways that I think we go about you know, honestly evaluating what, what is my worldview? I think you have to ask the, the big questions about who is God? Do I believe in God? Is, is Jesus my Lord, right? If it's a Christian's asking, is Jesus my Lord or is he just someone I go and I sing songs to on a Saturday or Sunday? And because I think there are a lot of Christians who say, yeah, I hold a Christian worldview. But if you were to ask them on the very foundational viewpoints of Christianity, when it comes to, is Jesus your Lord or is he just uh, an addition to what you do, an accessory? Um, you know, what are your views on life? What are you, your views on, um, you know, ethical things that are going on in the world? I think what you find out for a lot of people is that they really don't have a Christian worldview. Yeah, I don't. And I don't think that's always like an intentional thing either with with people. I think that a lot of times people have heard what are popular Christian sayings, Christian in quotes, um, that that they've heard around either church or they've seen a quote now on social media that gets shared or something and they assume that's a biblical thing um, that that are just these common sayings that, that people attribute to truth and biblical truth. Um, and, and it goes a little bit to what what Nathan and I talked about in, in the first episode of the season of that biblical illiteracy yep. of, of not knowing exactly what's in Scripture and sometimes assuming a quote we've heard or a fancy saying or, or something we read on a poster sometime um, is just as important as, as what's in Scripture, just as true as what's in Scripture. And so... I, I don't think again that people are intentionally doing that all the all the time. I think that I think it's one of those things that maybe there's just some confusion on on that if they haven't taken the time to study that for themselves and and own that faith for themselves. Yeah, let me ask a, a question that is is kind of interesting to me. Is it a worldview? Is it like a univocal sort of thing, or is this more? Is it a more pluriform like? amalgamation of all the things that you've learned does it come from one singular source or is it like a a a mural of of different sources that we're taking from in order to see something hopefully closer to what it actually is like right i know that one of the things that you you talk about often is objective truth right and it's the idea that this thing exists in reality um and in my one of one of the things that I always think about that is is it epistemologically possible for humans to actually know objective truth? Epistemological just is a, a reference to how you know what you know or the limits to what you know. So is it is it even possible for a human to be able to capture that fully? And is is a uniform is a is a worldview a uniform sort of thing that if you if you can check off these foundational boxes, then you are a Christ, You have a Christian mm-hmm. worldview, or is it comprised of a, a, a lot of different factors? I would answer that in two different ways. I think for the non-Christian, it is an amalgamation of a lot of different things. Like it's my experience, it's subjectivism, everything's relative. So I can take this piece of this over here, and I can take this piece of this over here. 
and I can bring them together, right? And then I am really the decider of how I evaluate those things. But from a Christian world, a Christian perspective, you know, I think two things come into play. Number one is that, you know, if, if we think about God and how he was going to reveal himself to us, I mean, obviously we know that he's revealed himself to us in the creation, but also if he was going to reveal himself to us in any other way, what would be the best way to reveal himself for generation to generation? And that would be through a book, right? Through mm, writings. Okay. And so, you know, and that's where scripture comes from. We have general revelation in, in, in uh, out in the world, but then we have specific revelation from God's word. And so I think from a, a Christian perspective, that's where we look to our foundation for our worldview. And then, you know, that should be the foundation. However, we all know that we live in a fallen world. And because we live in a fallen world, because there is sin in all of us, I think we have to be real careful of not allowing, and the scripture talks about this all the time, not allowing our experience, not allowing our heart, which is deceitful above all things, to determine for us what our worldview should be. It should be starting with God. And what does God's word have to say? How do we understand this situation in this world due to what God's word says? And then we're going to, you know, we're going to come to different different opinions a lot of times just because we are sinners and because we have different experiences that we're trying to bring in and understand God's word. But yet, at the same point, when we say, well, your experience versus my experience, what what is the key to understanding which one of us is right or wrong, if there is such a thing? Well, you go back to God's word, and that is the standard by which we judge as Christians. Um, and, and I think that's where we get into a lot of trouble in today's day and age is because uh, everything is subjective. Everything is about relativism. We try to bring that viewpoint in, and that's actually the lenses that we're looking at Scripture in instead of the other way around. Mm. Okay. And so a lot of people put, you know, they, they have that as a foundation because they've learned it, they've grown up in it, and they don't realize they even have it. And yet God's word says, you know, it, it screams the other way. It says, no, it should not be subjective. Here's my word. You judge everything by this standard. That's how you know as a sinner, because because of the sin nature, because of all the things that are going on in your own life. This is how you know whether you measure yourself up against me or not. And I think that's where we get into a little bit of trouble, is we want to be the standard. Hmm. So... Follow up, follow up question to that, Matt. Um, and if this gets us off too much on a tangent, Nathan, feel free to take this this part out. But um, so, how do we then, when we talk about re like revelation, God revealing Himself to us, and we look throughout church history, we see um, times where God reveals more of the truth of who he is to his people. Um, you know, I'm, I think of, we had an episode talk about the Trinity and we talked about, I'm drawing a blank now on the, on the gathering that they had, but, um, the, the Nicene Creed. The Council of Nicaea. Yeah. Right. The Council of Nicaea. Yes. Thank you. And we see, and, and I know this is a whole can of worms and it gets dangerous when we start to start to say God's revealing himself to us individually and everything that he's telling us and all of those things that that gets really manipulated and skewed. Um, but we do see times in history where God has done this. And, and again, most, most of the time when we can count on it being true, it's been to multiple people at a, at a specific time about a specific thing. But how, but we also know that, that every time we open up the Bible and maybe we're reading this passage for the fifth time, 10th time, hundredth time, thousandth time and we feel something new and God revealing himself new to us. So how do we balance how do we balance that? How do we balance our emotions that and our and our previous experiences that we've had when we're reading scripture to ensure that that what we are what we are feeling and seeing 
in this scripture? Is God revealing this to us and not our emotions playing with us? What, what do you, how do you do that, I mm-hmm. guess, personally? Well, I think that takes us back to our hermeneutic of how we, how do we understand scripture? Hermeneutic think, just meaning interpretation. I don't mean right, to cut you yeah, off, no. but yeah. Yeah. How do we interpret scripture? And I think yeah. one of the things we have to start with is that scripture had an intended purpose for the audience it was given to at that point. And that's what we have to start with before we go and we just open the board and say, what does this mean to you? We go back and we say, what did this mean to the audience? The author that was writing specifically to this audience was inspired. God was intending something for them. Okay. And then once we understand that, excuse me, I think what we can do then is we can look and say, okay, now that I understand how he was speaking to those people in that time, in that context, how does that specifically apply to me today? So we make the application then from there to us. And so, you know, one of the way I, one of the ways I like to do this is I, um, you know, I mean, and I think a lot of people get caught up on the idea that, you know, scripture is this group of 66 books, but in reality, it's one story. And what I like to do is I like, if I come to a conclusion on, okay, I think the author is saying this, let's say it's Paul or Peter, I will look at the rest of all their writings and say, is that really what they're teaching elsewhere? Or is, is what I think is going on here actually completely contradictory to what they're teaching in other places? And if it is, then I know my interpretation's wrong, and I need to go back and revisit that in light of what they've said in other places. And so I think, you know, that's a good way of doing it. But I think if you go just open up your scripture and point to one, you know, today and say, yeah. okay, I just feel like God's pointing me to this scripture, and, you know, you take it completely out of context, you can make it, you can make it same to say anything you sure. want to. Right. Isn't that the fun of words? <laughs> I, you know, as I thought about that question, Derek, the first thing I, I think that Matt has fantastic ideas of look at the author's other prescriptions and see if that is consistent, but also interpret within a community because the reason God did not give the Bible to us individually and goodness, it's a good thing that he didn't, because when I have problems, I need to go to people who either have intellectual knowledge or wisdom about the Bible that surpasses mine in order to help me to grapple with with some of the difficulties. I mean, you cannot divorce uh, the, the scripture from its context, as Matt was talking about, but those were also meant to like reconcile the information that God had been supplying over generation to generation. Like, Jesus is hugely problematic in the eyes of people who used to be Jewish, right? Sure. Because they're like, God is is Father and God is Spirit. And we see that all across the Old Testament. But then Jesus comes and starts making these messianic claims, but not consistent with the way that, like, Isaiah would have con- conceptualized the Messiah. He thought this was going to be a person who was going to redeem the kingdom of Israel. And Jesus supersedes that and says, no, this kingdom is for the entire world to come through. So like what you see is Paul and Peter grappling in real time, trying to understand this problem of Jesus. Like, who is this guy and how does he see fit into the paradigm that we've already been given? We can't just like leave this behind, but what we have to do is say, oh, if, if God has talked about this here, then we need to now reinterpret in light of Jesus. I, I seem to think that, that you, the, the glasses really resonate with me, and I think the character of Jesus is, or the character of God, is the the glasses by which you have to interpret everything else 
the the hard thing is these emotional reactions are processed in our brain way faster than more rational things. Mm -hmm. And the best piece of advice I can give to anyone reading a scripture is whether this is like super joy giving or it's really hard to reconcile with 21st century life, allow yourself to read a passage without immediately landing on this means this. Yeah. Read it, read it again, ask the spirit to be with you. And then within the context of community, maybe you can bring your, your problems to someone who is more who is trustworthy, who you were like, this is a person who I believe is, is, has done their due diligence to try to understand this. And, and if people give fast, easy, simple answers, that's a cause for concern in my mind as well. Right. Well, and, and the thing I thought of when you started to talk about that, Nathan, is, is I, have, I have sat in rooms with both of you gentlemen, with um, Pastor Brandt, and we've had these conversations of deep theological things of like, okay, I'm struggling a little bit with this. I see this and I read this and, and does this, you know, does this line up with, with, what we believe individually is just line up with what we're doing as a church. Do we need to check ourselves on certain things? Um, and so I, I do think there's, it's, it's easy to get ourselves into a kind of our own cocoon and our own thoughts. And sometimes we do need somebody to go, Hey, okay. Or even, you know, and, and, and Matt, I know that I, I've, I've heard of multiple conversations that you've had with people where, you know, you, you are, you know, and Pastor Brandon's referred to you as our in-house apologist and you are, you are very passionate about these things. But I also know you've had conversations with people like, Hey, <laughs> you're, you're passionate about this truth and that's good, but the way you're going about it is actually harming people. And, and so <laughs> it's really good to have people in our lives that we trust, um, who, who can speak into us and, and either get us, hopefully get us back on track if we're off track or at least have a conversation to figure out different points of view. Um, but also to, to say, Hey, you might be right here, but the way you're going about it is, is not, is not the way that it should be gone about, or maybe is, is harming people. And so I, th I think you're right, Nathan, I think community and people that, that kind of conversation that we can have those with those people and that accountability we can have to again, speak life into us and maybe check us when we, when we need checked is, is important. Yeah. So we, we, we came across it, the idea of this apologetics, and just very briefly, you know, what what is or what are apologetics, who is an apologist, and what is some of the history of, like, apologetics within the Christian tradition? Well, I think, um, you know, the, the really the foundational verse for apologetics is First Peter, um, you know, 3.15, and I'll, I'll just read that real quick. But in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord is holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. And that is the foundational view, in my opinion, on how we should perform apologetics, you know? Mm -hmm. So the question of who is the apologist, well, that is written to everyone in the church. So I, I think that uh, oftentimes people get a little bit, um, they get a little intimidated sometimes with apologetics. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that there's all of these other viewpoints that, you know, okay, how do I answer this question? How do I answer that question? And I think in reality, what we have to do as Christians is start with knowing our own faith. And that's where we really fall short is that, you know, it's, you know, I've used this example in Bible study all the time, but you know, they don't teach, uh, they don't teach, you know, secret service agents how to identify false, you know, $20 bills, right? They teach them how to learn the real one 
And then the, the false ones will just come up, you know, I mean, a counterfeit bill will just stick out like a sore thumb when you know the, the true thing. And so I think for a lot of uh, people um, and all Christians are called at some point to give a reason for the hope they have. Um, and, but do that by learning your own faith. So when you do hear something that comes from the outside, you have a you have a foundation to answer that objection on because you're so strong in your in your own your own faith. So I think everyone is called to be an apologist. We do it number one, setting Christ apart as Lord, and that comes back to our worldview, right? That's that foundational view of where where do you get your foundation? Well, it's not out in the world. It's I set Christ apart as Lord, not just as a as somebody I, I look up to as a good moral teacher. No, he's Lord of my life. So what Jesus said about money and what Jesus said about all sorts of things, those are the foundation that I build my beliefs on. And then I, you know, I, I learn my own, my own uh, views on scripture and my own views in the faith. And I allow Jesus to, uh, to be my Lord. And then I just go out and I proclaim the good news to people. I do it with gentleness and love. And, and I think if you do those things and anyone can be an apologist, you know. The Lordship of Christ is not only true, but is authority, brings authority in your life as to what you think, how you think, how you behave and practice in the world. Is that a fair summary of, of that foundation? Yeah, I think, okay. I mean, I think the Lordship of Christ is key yeah. of our lives, because if, we, uh, if you don't go out with the, with the idea that Jesus is Lord— then you're going to be, you know, the man that, that's like the shifting sands, right? I mean, every doctrine, a wind of doctrine will just take you wherever. So if Jesus is Lord, you go to his word to determine how do I, in my own sinful um, state, how do I know how I should react to this question or answer this question of ethical things going on in society or, or where do I get a foundation for knowing truth, right? And so... Um, I think that is number one on your list. If you're going to build a worldview, if you're as a Christian, if you're going to do apologetics at all, you better start there or the rest of it. That, and that's why the rest of it, you know, comes after that. I mean, that's the number one option is to put Christ as Lord in your life. Cool. Derek, you were saying something. I so rudely cut you off. No, you're totally fine because your your question was more pertinent to what he had just said. But but when you asked that question of apologetics, I, I was reminded of just what we've been talking about, like our, our worldview and what was formed is you know, what, what's the first word that pops into my head when we say apologetics, apology, right? And so when I had walked away from faith at the beginning of college and kind of gone about my own way and got, you know, came back to church and started to get more serious about my faith, I started hearing about apologetics. Well, I had been, I had heard a lot about like the Christian crusades and these things where, you know, Christianity had, had done a lot of things that had, had hurt people. And so my first thought of apologetics was that it was the church's way of apologizing for some of the junk they had done, <laughs> right? Because the apology is what first popped into my head. So, so I kept hearing this term coming up, and I, and I don't remember if I had this conversation with Bran or Pastor Kyle or Hugh at at the time that I asked. And I'm like, can you tell me a little more about this apologetics thing? Like, because like if I'm getting serious about faith, I probably need to know what I need to apologize for and right. whatever. And so, <laughs> but but again, that community allowed me to sit down, and we sat there and we looked at the Greek meaning behind the word of apologetics, and 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 what's that? What does that translate to now? to be able to defend and create a case for. So in essence, to be able to defend our faith and why we believe what we believe. But there's a very simple thing of like this term, like yep. my worldview of what that term was and what I assumed and thought it was, was completely off base yep. of what it actually meant and what it actually is. And so that that's why we need people to be able to go to and say, tell me more about this and be like, 
wow, I was way off. <laughs> maybe maybe we are in need of apologizers, you know. Yeah, yeah. Christian apologizers. <laughs> there I think that's I think that's silly. Um I know that some of the earliest writings, obviously Paul is giving some some rational defenses within his letters mm-hmm. of practical things. Something extra biblical but still like pertinent is Justin Martyr's apology right around 100 AD, somewhere like that. I'm not a historian. Please don't quote me on that. But um, closer to 170. Yeah. There you go. Hey, the you're, the, you're the guy, huh? Um, are there any other like really important works, maybe modern works that you recommend to people in terms of like apologetics that, that are good resources? Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's all kinds of, of apologetic. And then, of course, there's different strands of apologetics out right. there, right? I mean, um, you know, it's almost not, saying like geology and yeah. <laughs> saying, oh, yeah, yeah, this is this is incredibly general and the highly specialized sorts of things right. need to be like mm-hmm. accounted for. Right. You know, and you can go out and you can find, um, you know, some of the popular ones. People have seen like the case for Christ and stuff, you know, and, and I'm drawing a blank on that gentleman's name. That Lee Strobel. Yeah, Lee Strobel. You know, and Lee's a Lee's more of a uh, evidentialist type of, you know, he's going to bring the evidence to bear. Um, here's the evidence, and and uh, he was he was a reporter it. for the Chicago Tribune, right. and right. was kind of setting out to disprove Christianity, mm-hmm. and and so he was looking for actual evidence to take take the the argument and, and do exactly what I said, like get rid of the faith and say it's not real. Right. Yeah. And so I think you know if you're looking for just kind of an entry level type of thing, like that movie's really interesting or the book's really interesting, you know, like contemporary guys who are really big in apologetics, you know, if you're into the evidential side, uh, William Lane Craig is obviously big. I, I don't agree with a lot of his theology, but his, he's very good at going out and, you know, giving evidence, uh, for, for the case for the resurrection thing. And that's kind of his thing, the, the resurrection, the case for that, and then everything else will fall in line after that is kind of his belief. And, you know, I'm, I, I, I tend to lean more towards the side of presuppositional apologetics has always been my, my big push. And, you know, there's a great book out there uh, by the late Greg, Greg Bonson called Always Ready um, on how to defend your faith from that viewpoint. And I just, uh, you know, all of those guys, you get the different viewpoints of how you do apologetics. Um, you know, I know Frank Turek is a really kind of, uh, you know, popular guy out there today doing more of a, and a, you know, a kind of an evidentialist type of view as well. But, uh, you know, there's all kinds of good introductory works that you can find out there that, that uh, will introduce you to the topic of how to be an apologist, you know, contemporarily. So. Can you just quickly define the difference between evidential sure. versus presuppositional. Yeah. yeah. So evidential would be like, for instance, like a William Lane Craig today would be out there, you know, and he would, he would go out and he, and he goes to a lot of college campuses and he does a lot of interviews or, or debates with atheists. And, you know, he will just give the evidence that just a plain historical evidence for the resurrection. And, you know, and that, that's great. A lot of people look at that and they say, wow, that, that evidence is overwhelming. Um, you know, I, I, my personal, I'm not a huge fan of evidential apologetics. And the reason I don't is because coming from the other opposite of that would be the presuppositional side. Mm So starting in Romans one, knowing that all of us are suppressing the knowledge of God, it seems to me when you put, when you give, when you say, I'm going to come to Derek and I'm just going to give Derek all the evidence for the resurrection. Well, to me, what that does is it, it is now putting God on trial. And Derek is sitting in the judgment seat and I'm saying, Derek, I'm going to give you the evidence. You judge whether or not God is real. 
And knowing what we see in Romans 1, the presuppositional side says, okay, we see in Romans 1 that we're all, all the knowledge is there. We have no excuse. We're just suppressing that knowledge. Um, and so giving people more evidence is not necessarily going to lead them to Christ. Okay. They'll just suppress it more if they want to. So the, the presuppositional uh, side of apologetics just basically says, let's, let's get into the worldview of the person who we're talking to and let's actually evaluate their worldview. For instance, you know, a lot of people like in, in my sermon, I was talking about how the, uh, a lot of people in this world have a materialistic type of worldview. Well, in a materialistic type of worldview, when you're having a conversation with them, there's really no category from a materialist to give you the laws of logic. Like you asked about rationality we were talking about early. Mm-hmm. Well, there really is no category for that because you can't hold and you can't touch laws of logic. So how is it in this in this world that every single person deals with, with the laws of logic? These are the things that are immaterial. These things are out there in the world, okay? And it's because we're creating the image of God. It's because God has actually made laws of logic. I mean, these are things you can't touch. They're just part of it. It's like gravity, right? They're just there. It's, it's, it's like a law out in nature and that, you know, so when you're having a conversation with a person regarding logical things, well, in their worldview, they don't have categories to even deal with that. So what you do is you just point out to them, you know, you're living in God's world Hmm. and, and you're using definitions that only God can give you to then deny God. And so I love the evidential side of apologetics when I'm dealing with a person who believes in God. Because once you have a person that believes in God, then we can show the evidence of, of the resurrection and all these things. But until that happens, by definition, Romans 1 is kind of a, uh, you know, it, it's just saying that, you know, people are going to suppress no matter how much knowledge you give them. And so, in my opinion, this is just me, but I believe the evidential side is more of a, is a, more of a philosophical side. It's like man trying to reason up to God. And I think... And, you know, like I've heard William Lane Craig say, you know, basically what he tries to do at the end of his his apologetics is the greater preponderance of the evidence leads one to believe that there is a God out in the universe. Well, that's not a great place to lead people, right? And he says that all the time in his stuff. Well, that's that's just not a great place to lead people. I would rather lead them to the Christian God that I know is there. And, and lead them to Jesus. And, and so th- there's just a complete different view of like this incremental thing. Well, let's try to get them to believe in God. And then once we get them to believe in God, okay, then we'll try to get them to believe in Jesus. And then we'll try, we'll just tr- slowly move them away, you know, to our viewpoint. And so they're just, like I said, there's a lot of different views on how to do that. Um, and, and I've always just found the presuppositional view. And I think it, it, you know, we started getting into the weeds on theology here, but it has to do with what your view of man is what his capacities are, whether you believe Romans 1 and all the things that are in there. And so a lot of it just goes back to other theological, of course, your worldview, you know, and I always say that your, your theology should drive your apologetic, where of a lot of people, their apologetics drive their theology. So do you start with God and reason to man, or do you start with man and try to reason your way to God? And that will determine how you do apologetics. That's a lot to take in. I have so many like little tangential questions that I, <laughs> I want to ask, but just in the interest of keeping this as to less than like a four hour conversation, um, I will refrain well, from Well, you're good at editing, so, so you, can, you, can go and, you can go ahead and just ask away. Yeah. Um, no, there are, there are some some really, really interesting things. And, you know, I think that Bill Craig probably deserves a little bit of, of grace in the sense that he's debating people who likely aren't going to change their minds mm-hmm. and is trying to win debates yeah, rather right. than to win people. Yeah. And and I think that, you know, obviously there are, there are some scholarly 
some caveats there when when he's making some of those arguments as opposed to like Lee Strobel is is definitely trying to put people at the foot of the cross to kind of reconcile those more like abstract things like like sin sin is a very abstract concept there is not a material basis for it as as you just said and and yeah i i I'm thinking about a yeah, lot me, of the ways that things, things, yeah. I don't, I, I, you know, I disagree on, a, on certain levels with the, with the, the argumentation that, that maybe these guys, you know, like, like William Lane Craig does, but I mean, I, I, I he's definitely, he's a Christian brother. I just take a different viewpoint on how you bring people to the Lord. I mean, sure. I, and so, um, you know, and, and yeah, I, so yeah, I totally agree. I think, and I think what you're talking about. There are some here is, things that you have to do to keep your seat as the right. blank, blank professor yes. of blank, blank. <laughs> yeah, I get, yeah, I get right. that. You and, know, and you know, I think all of us probably at 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 points in ministry have realized that different ways of talking to people result in different right. So like, my apologetic is not going to speak to everyone. Yeah, okay. Sure. And, but his does speak to certain people. Yeah. Okay. And so it, it's, it's the body, right. And that's the key to all this is that we, you know, we might disagree with, with people on certain things here and there, but it's about the body coming together. And that's what you guys, when you were talking earlier about, you know, um, just having godly counsel mm-hmm. and having mm-hmm. a group of people to talk about these things. And, and when you're all working as the body and you're not all pulling your own way, I think that, you know, there's, there's space in the apologetic world for all of these things. Um, you know, specifically to my own apologetic, that's why I take, you know, some of the the stances I do on, on that. So just, I'm, I'm kind of wanting to move this from, from a more abstract, a more theological, Mm -hmm. a more like heady sort of thing to a more practical, um, sort of conversation. And how do we, how do we go about doing this in our lives? How do we go about saying, okay, I, I would like to be able to give more rational defenses of the hope that I have. Um, and and one of the, I guess we'll start at that question, then I have sort of a, an adjacent question that that will maybe get us to another point that that I think is equally as important. But let's just start there. How do we how do we go about learning and and aligning more with a Christian worldview, how do we go about practicing these things? Because it's all well and good if we know something, but if we have not the desire to go out and be in the world in a different way, then it's kind of worthless in, in the language of Paul. So Yeah, I think number one is being unashamed of actually actually believing and having faith in your faith, right? That you actually believe that Jesus died for your sins. And that the freedom that you find in him, that you want everyone else to feel and to, and to experience. And so I think, number one, that's the first realization you have to come into, that Jesus came, he died for sinners like me. And so from a practical level, I want everyone else to also experience that freedom, right? And so I have to be, number one, I have to realize that truth, and then I have to be willing to engage in the conversations. I mean, you're not everyone is going to be a William Lane Craig, or not everyone is going to be a professional debater, but we have to be willing to at least engage in the conversation with people and, and you know, get them thinking. If nothing else, maybe you're just the guy that plants the seed that five years later will be watered by someone else. Um, or you just show them maybe by, maybe by doing simply talking about Jesus in the way that he says in, in first Peter three fifteen you do it with love and gentleness that, that just that conversation, even if they reject you at that point, 
may allow them later to say, you know what, that Christian, there was something different about that person. And so I think number one is engaging, be willing to engage in the conversation um, and loving people enough to, to want them to experience the same freedom in Christ that you do. And then if, if you're really going to do apologetics, you got to get serious about your own faith. You can't worry about other people's worldviews and other people's faiths until you get serious about your own. And then once that happens, you know, when you get into the, you know, the, the things about, like you were talking about the Trinity and things like that, I mean, all of these other worldviews that start coming against those ideas, they will just naturally flow and your discussions will take off from there because you know what you believe. When someone else brings it, you're like, okay, I already know what I believe. I can see why that's wrong or I can see why that's against my worldview. And so that's practically how I would encourage people to get started. This is a little bit of a preview into later on in the series. I'll be I'll be given a message on um, you know in the sticks and stones that talks about you know Christians just just don't care about me, um, and it's that that idea you just talked about of like if you truly believe what you believe, why would you not want to tell me about it? And there's an example that I'll that I'll use during the message of of um, Penn Teller, who's a magician, and he tells a story probably over a decade ago now but of a gentleman who walked up and gave him a Bible. And he said, just the way the conversation that they had, he could tell that he truly, you know, and this is a man who is an atheist, who is still an atheist and very strong proclaiming atheist. But he says like, I have respect for this man because he actually took to heart what he believes. And if, and, and he, he basically says like, if you believe someone's going to go to hell, how much do you have to hate someone to not tell them that there's another way? And he goes, and he said, regardless of whether he believes that or, or subscribes to that is not, or not, he was just hit by this interaction from this guy who handed him a Bible, um, that there's so many people who don't do that. And I think that's a, I think that's a real thing. I think there's people who say like, you don't, you don't really believe what you believe speaking of Christians in, in general, because you're not telling anybody about it, or you're not, it's not changing who you are as a person. I think there's a very real thing that there are people who are watching, um, you know, again, whether that's even conscious or subconscious, but there's people paying attention. And if it doesn't change who we are, if it's not important enough for us to talk about, um, do we really believe it? Do we really care about it that much? And, and, that's, that's concerning. That's, that's a scary thing, even for me as a pastor, think about, you know, because, Part of my job is to talk about this and do this, right? Yeah. Like that's and get up and preach. But but there's yeah. situations in my life where I'm afraid there's people who could who could say that about me. And, and I think being aware of that and then you know, taking that as a challenge to to step up again, not to be breathing, you know, and hellfire and brimstone preaching at people and telling them, you know, turn or burn. But if I'm missing opportunities that God's putting in front of me because. I'm being selfish because I'm just not paying attention because I'm not prepared. Um, that's 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 a scary thing to think about. Yeah, but have you really tried Turner Burn yet? Because it might change your mind. <laughs> you know, we're we're going to have a conversation <laughs> later, Nathan. Well, I, I think this goes back a little bit to what Nathan mentioned earlier, uh, tying what you said together, is that as Christians, I think so often when we go do apologetics, a lot of people that get involved in it do want to win a debate. Mm. And sure. as Christians, we should never go into a conversation wanting to win. Mm. If you go in wanting to win, you've already lost, yeah. right? Because like I said, I might not speak to a person in a way that, you know, God is ready, you know, God is not ready at that moment yet to, to free them. Okay. Um, and, and so maybe he's got more steps down their road, but all I'm doing is planting the seed. So I often think, you know, there's a lot of conversations I, I go into, or I've gone into, you know, even at, at the abortion rally or whatever with just 
I knew I'm not going to change minds, but I go there in love to preach the good news, to speak love in truth. And you know what? Know that I might have to lose this battle today Mm. because there's a greater war going on. And if I really care about that person, I never go there or do any apologetic encounter thinking I want to win this debate. If that's what you're in it for, then honestly, that's probably not a great idea for you to be doing apologetics. I I think that's a really good point though, Matt, because I think that a lot of times people would feel like they failed if that person doesn't accept Jesus right there. I think it's good to hear that, that sometimes you're you're just the one to plant the seed. You're maybe just one who's sowing that seed a little bit, but you may not be, you may not even, you may never know if that person chooses to accept Jesus. But I think it's good to hear that from somebody who is very passionate about this to to hear that it's not about winning. It's not about it's not about convincing them that you're right. It's about planting those seeds. It's about being faithful to what you're called to do. And ultimately, God takes care of the rest, right? We're to pay, play our role. We're to play our part. We're to do what we're called to do and allow God to do what he's going to do. Yeah, and that's why, I, you know, the, for the in my own mind, the way I think and everything, the presuppositional model for me just works so, so well, because I go into it knowing that my contact point with a person is that they're made in the image of God and that they're suppressing the knowledge of God. And so I just, you know, I go in having a conversation, just say, where do I see them suppressing the knowledge of God? And how can I just lift their fingers up a little bit? Let that knowledge of God come back to the surface and then let God do what God does. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about Nathan having a conversation. It's about God's spirit work in the life of those people. And, and for, I really don't ever want to be the person who people look at and say, you know, that person hardened my heart mm. towards God. And so I never accepted him or, or things like that, you know? And so that, that's the way I, I try to go about mm. conversations. What, um, just as, as we finish, I think that this is a, a good place. It's, it's funny that I've, I've expressed that I'm not terribly interested in apologetics because listening to people like Bill Craig was what like opened the door to me getting back into faith. And, and as I've learned and studied more, my interest in faith has gone a lot away from an intellectual to a more practice focused sort of thing. Um, but I have to recognize how that got my foot in the door mm-hmm. and, and, you know, now I'm not, I can't say that I'm terribly interested in apologetics anymore, but I don't think it matters because I can, I can honestly say it was because of the work of people like that, that got, got me back in the door. So I see the utility of apologetics in my life, even, even though I don't really hold tightly to this perspective now, but let me, let me just ask you, um, how has this made you a, bit, a better Christian, a better person, a better, like, how, how has, how, have apologetics influenced your faith and your, and your practice? And why do you think it's worth it for people to invest in something like this? I, I think that number one, before you even talk about apologetics, I think that, you know, the worldview key is, it's, it's key. Everything about your, how you see what's going on with your kids at school, how you see what's going on out with your government, how you see what's going on out in this world is dictated by your worldview. So I think, number one, forming that and understanding the Christian worldview is so key. And I think when you do that, um, you know, once you do that and you see, again, the freedom that comes from Christ and you see all of the, all of the, just the goodness that comes with God, I think that 
you will naturally want, I think a lot of people will want to do apologetics to go out and defend the faith against other worldviews, which, which don't give you that freedom, which you see in bondage of, of these other worldviews. And so I think that, uh, that's really the main reason I've enjoyed it. Um, you know, and, and getting into it, it wasn't necessarily that that's what I wanted to do, but the more I, I got into it and I started studying it, the more I thought this is something that has to be done, you know, and, you know, I feel like God's given me a little bit of a gift in that area and who am I to not use a gift that he's given me to the best of my abilities. And so I think it's given me opportunities to have discussions with people that I normally wouldn't be able to. Yeah because a lot of people like the subject but again like i said i think you have to you have to get them back to the foundation of what they believe and how they believe it before they can even really engage in the conversation about apologetics and so um it's really not i mean i know it it sounds like a lot but you know once you know your own faith and you have a christian worldview apologetics just becomes something you do you know uh, naturally it's just something that becomes part of your everyday walk when you're having a conversation with you know, ex neighbor or someone that comes over for a barbecue about the subject of abortion or about the subject of whatever's going on ethically out in the culture right now. You have an answer as a Christian and a reason to give hope of why the Christian worldview is is the correct worldview in this world and why people need to know Christ. And so I, I think as we continue to see the secularization of this nation, the uh, the persecution that's inevitably going to come on the church. I mean, I just don't think you can look at anything that's going on right now and think that the church is not going to come under further persecution in the future, that people are going to have to be having these conversations with their neighbors, having conversations with other people who have completely different worldviews from the, with them and, and be ready to engage these conversations. Because I think a lot of people thought, well, you see a, you know, you see a study that said, you know, 20 years ago, 80% of people identified as Christians, which, you know, really wasn't 80%, but that number continues to drop dramatically, even the people that claim to have a Christian worldview. And so Christians are, you know, it's not just the standard worldview out there anymore. I mean, there's all kinds of competition on, um, you know, out in the public square. And I think Christians are going to have to do a better job of taking our faith out and defending it. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your humility and your intellectual uh, acuity in this uh, in this place because it is not one for me, and we need more people like you. No, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you.